welcome back to What the HR Podcast. I'm Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson. And I'm Mike Toole, HR technology consultant with SAP SuccessFactors. Welcome back to another episode of What the HR. Today we're talking about employer branding. Joining us is Nate Guja. He leads brand marketing at Job Portraits, which is a creative studio that specializes in employer branding content. Based in San Francisco Bay Area, Job Portraits has special expertise writing for highly technical audiences in extremely competitive markets that help startups and talent teams hire faster. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please take 30 seconds, leave us a review. It's greatly appreciated. Enjoy the episode. All right, Nate, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. It's good to be here. Hey, uh, easy way to get started. Why don't you tell our audience what you do and kind of maybe how you arrived in the employer branding space? Sure. So yeah, I do two things. I lead brand marketing for a creative studio called Job Portraits. And I'm also a co-founder of a newish business unit that we've spun out of Job Portraits called Before You Apply, which is a lot more product-driven, product-style business. But just in general, we're a content studio that specializes in employer branding. And we primarily partner with the growth stage startups, mostly Bay Area, although now like we're getting recognized in just in other tech hubs across the country. And we partner with internal talent teams to create content that helps them recruit candidates easier, faster, better. Yeah, that's kind of our jam. Okay. So I want I, so I want to start with just kind of what do you define as em, employer branding? Yeah. I want to know, this is the first guest that we've had that was actually recommended by somebody else. So it sounds like you have, I, I should say recommended through social media, somebody tagged you, which was really cool. So employer branding is becoming something that people are paying attention to, and maybe they always have, but how do you define it? And and, and what's changed in the space in the last you know year or two? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good place to start. Yes. Employer branding, just in general, it's becoming, it's a pretty buzzy topic. I think over the last couple of years, it's gaining awareness before that you could, you would say employer branding and even people in, in the space would kind of go, what is that again? But now it's actually like a recognizable term, which is great. It's a, <laughs> it makes my job a little bit easier. The way that we, we think about employer branding is it's, it's the perception that candidates and employees have about what it's like to work at your company. Because I think employer branding serves two markets. It serves an internal market, which is your employee base, then it serves the external market, which is your candidate base. And so it's kind of like it sits between these two. I think the most important thing to understand about employer branding in general is that is that your employer brand exists regardless of what you do. It's there, just like any company brand. It's a perception. And that and that perception exists largely out of your control. And I think like employer branding itself is an attempt to influence that perception. And tell the stories that help shape that perception and give people just like a look inside and a feel of what what this company is about, especially culturally. Kind of go along the line of kind of tell your story or somebody else will tell it for you. Is that? Yeah, very much, man. So you guys help companies to define that, that brand, the employee experience, the candidate experience. You mentioned earlier that you work with mainly startups or you know, or a lot of startups. Yeah. Is there something, is there a reason why you guys have fallen into the startup area? Do they need more help? And then, you know, the second question would be, do large, large organizations still need that help? And is, I guess I'm thinking, 
a large organization that maybe has an issue and can that be fixed? Yeah. Yeah. So the reason that we work in the startup space, we're technically based in the Bay Area. We're a fully remote team. So we're kind of spread out all over, but I don't know, like our headquarters or whatever, you know, would be uh, would be the Bay Area. And so early on, we developed really just really core relationships with the predominant VCs in the Bay Area. We do a lot of writing for them, um, for their human capital teams. And as a result, you know, have kind of like like worked our way into that world early and, you know, work with their portfolio companies. And, and we have like a very interesting business in that it's all organic business growth. We don't do any outbound. It's just, it's all word of mouth. And it's because like, we just have gotten known in this like Bay Area tech Mm-hmm. bubble kind of thing. And and um and so I think like we, we do have a handful of mature companies that we work with and we still work with them in a very startup-y way. And and I think like we and the reason that we've stayed in the startup space is because and it's not because there's more money there. <laughs> if anything, there's like definitely less money there. But we've gotten to know that candidate, that specific candidate audience so well that you know when you're when you're recruiting engineers or if you're recruiting really skilled salespeople, those are two super competitive candidate markets. And you need to know how to like how to speak to them. It's, it's not just writing content. It's not just posting jobs. It's about speaking to those specific personas. And I think like we've just, that's our domain expertise. That's what we own. And so even when we partner with like with large organizations, it's still very much to help bring those technology functions to life you know, through talent acquisition, we, we help like support those functions mostly. So in the, in the startup world, so you help them brand themselves, does that allow them to go out and get better talent, maybe at a price they can afford because of that messaging? Does, does that question make sense? Yes. I, I don't know if, yeah, I'm trying to think some of them don't have as much money as the large corporations. But then there's also those candidates that they really want to be a part of a startup. So is that an ROI, I guess, for your services is being able to land better candidates at, I guess, a reasonable cost? Um, yeah. So if we look at if we look at the way that that growth stage startups recruit in general, their primary recruiting mechanism is outbound to passive candidates. So reaching out to candidates who are currently employed, because most of the candidates that they're trying to attract have jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really interesting candidate market when it comes to, to these types of companies. And so it's outbound to passive candidates or it's referrals. And so the work that we do has to map back to the way that these teams operate. Because if you do the work, if you give them the right assets, it starts enabling other things. Because right now these teams are stuck in that mode where it's like they have massive hiring goals. And they really only know how to do it two ways. They've never been equipped with anything to help market themselves and help like brand their company. Because even for companies who have raised tens or hundreds of millions of dollars, backed by some of the greatest VCs around, largely nobody knows who they are. You know, like unless you like are in a certain scene, I mean, they all kind of look the same. All even their names <laughs> are like so similar. They're like one word names. Um, and, and you're kind of like, who are you, you know? And so, so then you start looking at like, how do we create the things to give these candidates like a real authentic look inside so they can start self-selecting in or out if they want to start the conversation, because that's what these, like, if you're an engineering candidate, you're getting hit up 10 times a day on LinkedIn by a recruiter. And if you start 
positioning yourself in a way that is friendly to the candidate and saying like the ball's in your court, let's start a conversation based off of this information. That's the type of relationship that these companies really want to start. And that's, that's what we help them do. And, and the driver behind that is content. It's, it really is. Yeah. So I, in looking in your, your website, you know, you mentioned, I think there are a lot of people on your staff that come from like journalism or communications background. Yeah. So I have a communications background, but everybody else on the team with the exception of me has a journalism background, you know, went to school for journalism, have practiced it. And we just happened to fall into this space. And the fact that we fell into the space kind of accidentally and have this journalism approach I think it really serves us well because it's super unique. So not only is the, is the team just really skilled at writing, but they know how to ask the right questions to, un- to extract the right information and then package that up in a compelling way that resonates with the specific candidates that we've been talking about. Yeah. So it's just like, it's pretty different. And is yeah. that a skill that you see just across the board and recruiting team seems to be lacking? Yeah. Good writing and I mean, do... yeah. Okay. I do. It's, um, I think it's something I've talked to enough in-house recruiters at these companies and talent leaders at these companies who really want these, they, they want to acquire these skills because I think that's modern recruiting. It's like, if the way to recruit today is to be a content creator and to be able to like, to be much more of a marketer than a salesperson now, but unfortunately they're not set up to be that. And I think like, that's really something that I'm, I'm a big advocate of, of these teams taking more of that approach, but I also understand the pressures that they're under, you know, so it's a balance. So Nate, I find that really fascinating. And I'm, you know, I've, I haven't had the luxury um, of working for a startup. I've only worked for relatively mature organizations. And I'd love for you to talk about what that process looks like coming in, because as somebody who's only worked for mature companies, there definitely has always been a feel, you know, and, and I, even working and recruiting earlier in my career, you know, culture is, is a question that consistently comes up when you're interviewing candidates, you know, help, help me understand the culture, describe the culture at this organization. And sometimes it can be really hard to put words to what the feel is like at an organization. And it's something you kind of have to just wait to experience once you've you know made the choice if you want to join the company or not. So can you speak to, especially at the startup phase, what you you know you and your team do to help maybe you know come up with the right wordsmithing or the the brainstorming activities that occur to help really put some words to how an organization might describe what it's like working for their organization. Yeah. I appreciate that question because I think like what, when it comes down to it on the surface, like I said earlier, but even when we're talking about companies defining their employer value proposition, which is like a big thing in our space, it's like a big strategic project to like get this, right. This brand voice. I mean, I think if you threw 10 employer value proposition decks on a table, to candidates and said, okay, look at all these to them. They would look more or less the same. I mean, there's only so many words that companies use to describe themselves. And so that's not compelling to a candidate. Candidates don't care. They're not searching a career site to find those words and anything like that. What they want to know is they want to look inside, like you were saying, and they want to know on some level experience what it would be like to be part of this team. So when it comes to like communicating culture, like I hate to use this term because it's so buzzy, but 
but I'm going to use it. So transparency, right? Okay, great. We hear a lot about transparency, but like really what that means is like pushing as hard as you possibly can on the truth. And so there's this approach, this kind of like methodology that we embrace, which is like attract and repel. And we really want to do everything we can, both in our work and in consulting with our clients to tell as much of like the raw truth that you can for, for those candidates to either go, this is amazing. I love these challenges too. And I want to be part of that or go like, you know what? This isn't for me because volume is the enemy to recruiting. This is not a play to get more candidates in your funnel. This is, this is actually a play to get less, Mm -hmm. but less of the people who at least initially before they apply are bought in to the, everything that you're doing. And for startups, I mean, they're growing so fast, they're stumbling and that's okay. And that's, and and it's, but it's great to own that, you know, and, and we've seen some like, you know, nothing we've been a part of, but we've seen a little bit of this in the startup community just because of COVID. Like we've seen some founders come out and, and speak publicly about challenges they've had and hard decisions they've had to make. I don't know if you guys saw it, but there was like this really, this medium post from the founder at Coinbase, a Silicon Valley startup, pretty big one who just spoke about like what he's doing with his company culture. And it was very controversial, but whether you agree with agree or disagree with what his message is, that is like a shining example of what it's like to go like, this is our culture. If you like it, the door is open, but if you don't, there's plenty of other companies that could serve you probably better. And yeah. Yeah. That's totally resonating with me because little did I know, maybe I was actually approaching this the right way early on in my young recruiting career that I would take the approach of almost talking the candidate out of the position, you know, starting with all of the things that might be really challenging about the position and or ways in which leaders led in the position or expectations or whatever it might be, you know, to kind of put like the ugly truth or maybe the good truth, you know, depending on what the candidate is looking for forward. So then the candidate can then make the best decision on, is this a place that I would like to see myself or do my aspirations, skill set, and personality seem to fit well with what this company is looking for? Yeah. Well, I was going to ask, and if you want to finish there, I was just wondering when you're working with startups, if some grow so fast, how do they know what they want to attract and, and what they want to repel? And is that something that you help define? Yeah, it is. It is definitely something we help define. Typically, what we'll do, you'll see startups scale really fast and they'll get to this point. And it's like, I don't, it's not an exact science of when that, what that point is, but let's say two or three years in, they've raised three or four rounds and they've grown from even like 20 or 50 original employees to now 500 or 750 or maybe even a thousand employees. And the entire company is, it's an entirely different company, but in like two or three years. And that's usually when somebody, somebody like a senior leader, a founder, somebody like kind of looks up and goes, whoa, we are not the same company we were. We're still a startup, but now they might have a board. They Senior leadership might be totally different. Who are all these employees? Like, I don't know any of these people, you know? And that's usually when, so, when they will hit the brakes and they'll go like, we need to, we're going through an identity crisis and we need to figure out who we are. And that's a lot of times like where 
where we will come in and we'll help them figure out who they are. And we, you know, like we have a process for doing that. And then from there, that's when you get really, really clear on like, okay, this is what our culture looks like now moving forward, at least for like the foreseeable future. And these are the types of candidates that we think would best fit. But, you know, it's a, it's hard to do that when you're going through that two or three year period, because it is such a rocket ship and everybody is so heads down growing that it's usually like somebody has to notice it. And then that's when come in. And then from there, you know, we figure that stuff out and then we, we take that and we create assets that represent all of that work that then can be distributed out. Right. One of the hardest things in business is anytime you change, you have to make sure that everybody gets on board or everybody's kind of singing this, the same tune. So when you guys go in and you guys help with branding and content creation, and then to Jess's point earlier, recruiters are getting on the phone and answering questions from candidates. Do you have to make sure, I mean, the answer is probably yes. You have to make sure that it's, it aligns, right? The content that you guys are creating versus what's being said in person or on the phone do you work with the teams, like both sides? Do you work with marketing on things? And then do you also work with the recruiters to make sure that the messaging is in line? Yeah, man, you're asking, you guys are asking all the right questions. <laughs> this is great. Lucky sometimes. No, I mean, really, like you're, you're thinking about this the right way. So yes, we do. So one of the, a, a core asset that we'll create from this like branding work from the strategy side of things is we call it a, a candidate messaging guide. And that's a... It's a pretty robust document that's for internal communications purposes. It's designed to be distributed out to employees, to teams, to train them on this is the new language that we're using. I mean, it goes as deep and as granular as like literal copy that goes on all candidate facing sites, that goes on everybody's email signature. That like so everything is is really consistent across the board. And then what we do is we also do something which is called a launch day. And that we'll usually do that at the very end of an engagement where we'll have some, at least some initial phase one assets, some stories that we have written, something. And we'll bring together teams. Recruiters are absolutely part of that. Well, we will like show them what the assets are. We will help them with distribution. We will help them with like messaging and language. And like, this is why we're doing this because the reality is also like outside of the talent function, most people in the company don't know what employer branding is. They might have heard the term, but they don't really pay much attention to it. You know, it's not like if you say marketing, everybody in the company knows what marketing is and they more or less know the value of marketing and why it's part of our company. But when it comes to employer branding, it takes another level of like awareness and education. So we do a lot of handholding to make sure that initially everybody gets bought in and that it's not just living in the silo. Yeah. But, but yeah, that, that messaging is super important. Does that uh, translate over into just company branding? Like, how does it relate to, I mean, I would imagine that I want my employees to understand or my candidates to understand something about our company that I also want our customers to understand. Yeah, there, there now is, is a lot of crossover in, I mean, it's a result of where we're at. You know, it's a result of like companies having to make tough decisions because, of COVID and that has just put company culture and just like these practices public, like people who consumers who really like, if you ask them, they would say, yes, we care about how companies treat people, but they, but it wasn't as like 
top of mind. And now for consumers, it's very top of mind. It's like part of like a buying decision. And so, so the marketing or the corporate branding side has kind of come to this middle place where they're like, oh, there's an opportunity for us to talk to our markets, whether it's candidates or it's consumers about things that, that are going on internally because there's actually ROI in it. So yeah, that's it. And then, but from a, uh, tactically, a lot of times we will actually piggyback an employer branding project on the back of a corporate branding, like a rebrand, uh, because that, that way there's like a lot of consistency between the two. Have you guys ever run into an issue, especially in the startup space where there's like an identity crisis <laughs> where they, you know, they, they want to show up a certain way in the marketplace, but the employee internally is actually having a very different experience from what the company is trying to put out to the marketplace or the talent population, if you will. And in those, I guess, for lack of a better word, identity crisis, I'll just use in this example, do you guys come in and sort of help rein them in at all? <laughs> Let's see. Yes, but it's really difficult. And what you're, what you're describing is actually pretty common. So I hate to like use this as I'm not trying to dodge the question, but it really is dependent on the mindset at the top. Because what we've experienced a number of times is that we will do lots of work and we will have great partnerships with people at a company who are leading these initiatives and we'll work for a number of, let's say, a couple, two, three months. A lot of time, a lot of resources, a lot of money being spent to get to the point where, oh, okay, everybody's feeling good about this. And then it goes to the top and the top goes, no, that's not it. And you're like, no, but actually this is it because all of this information came directly from your employees and it came directly from candidates who we're getting feedback from. So whether you like it or not, that's what it is. But then it's like, no, and it stops. And that's like, you can't do, I mean, at least from our side, we can't really do much about that. But, but it would have an impact on the results that ultimately are from you, right? I mean, as, as a... yeah. When you, when you talk to a client and, and you realize these things, there's got to be a little bit of concern like, hey, even if we do what you want us to do and we do it really well, it's not really the reality that's happening. So the value may not show up the way that they think. Right. Yes. No, it's true. And it's hard when you get to that, when you're like, you can see like the light at the end of the tunnel and then you kind of have to hit the pause button and... I don't know. It's a, it's just a, it's a tough situation to be in, but we've been in it. But luckily though, like, I mean, for the most part, we are really selective about who we work with and we do as much as we possibly can to screen for those types of red flags mm -hmm. before we engage in, because it's just, it's a commitment, you know, it's a commitment from us and it's commitment from them. And if we don't see that, that we're going to get to like that finish line, then we typically won't take on a project. But luckily, I mean, what you're describing doesn't, it's happened, but it doesn't happen often. And most of the time it's like a wonderful experience. And like people are just like generally excited about this type of work once they get to experience it and see it. How long is that engagement? And then I'm, I'm sure it differs, but over, does, yeah. if I'm a company or I'm a recruiter or HR, I'm listening right now, I'm thinking that we need to do this, but how long is it going to take? So that's one question is kind of how long are your normal engagements? And then how do you actually measure employer branding? How do you measure the value at the end of that? Yeah. So as far as engagements go, when it comes to just straight content, uh, we do it in a two-week sprint. So it's very quick. There's a little bit of discovery, depending on how much work the company has already done themselves. 
we do our, our discovery at the front end and then we can go into a two-week sprint and, and create assets and get it out to them and then start doing what like I refer to as the launch day to help with distribution and things like that. So from a content standpoint, it can move very quickly. And then from a strategic standpoint, like if we're we're talking about like, you know, later stage companies, super high growth who need to like hit the brakes and go, let's, let's figure out who we are. That's about a 90-day process for strategy because there's just a lot of rounds of like focus group interviews. Lot, just like a, a lot of things we're putting together on our side. And then from there, we roll into content production, which then goes very quickly. We do those big strategic projects though. I mean, we only do about three, four, three to five a year. They're just like really big projects and they eat up a ton of resources for us. But um, but on the content side, like we, we've got a very streamlined process um, to get it through. And are you guys somewhat kind of on retainer? Like, do they hire you for ongoing? Like you're, you're just creating this going or do you teach them how to create the content and then let them live? Yeah. Typically uh, we'll do like one, one project to put some foundational pieces in place. Some like pieces of content that can live for a long time, like real evergreen type stuff that are big, like big time recruiter enablement assets, things that we know are going to like help them start the right conversation. And then from there we can roll it. We roll into like a monthly subscription anywhere, you know, one, two, whatever stories a month. That's typically what will happen, but sometimes like we'll, we'll get the foundational pieces in place and then the team that we're working with will mature and we'll get even more specialized, which I think is the ideal situation is like the biggest goal here is to get these teams operating in a creative way where they're able to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. And we see that happen too sometimes where like the team will grow and then they'll be able to like create their own stories and they, they rely on us then sometimes for like writing and editing support or to do like these like very specialized projects that they just can't handle. Mm-hmm. And before I forget, and I, I, sorry, I interrupted. I didn't let you finish with the, how to measure. Yeah. Employee. How to measure. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So here's the way that I think about it. I think employer branding one, it's very qualitative. It's not one of those things where software, let's say is going to tell you the real story. If I was going to identify I'll identify two metrics that can be identified with numbers, but then I'll talk to you about the qualitative side of it, which I think is the most important. Two metrics are one response rates to outbound messaging. If you're a startup, because like I said earlier, whether you like it or not, that's the way that they're recruiting. So if they're recruiting, how do you help them do it better? And if they're getting better responses from the right people, that's a direct metric. The other one is going to be new hires. And I really think that for employer branding, new hires is the equivalent of marketing's revenue. So if you look at marketing and you, and you look at like, okay, what's the impact on the business? It's money. New hires are, are that revenue for employer branding. There's a lot of like vanity metrics that you can track, which are breadcrumbs. They're nice to haves, but I don't think they tell the right story. Now on the qualitative side though, this is where things can get like super cool and be really telling. Recruiters, recruiters are the ones who hold all the information because they're talking to the candidates. They know how candidates feel about the company. They know how candidates feel about the content that you that they're using. And I think whoever's leading employer branding, whether that's a head of talent who's balancing 20 other things or it's somebody who's fully dedicated to this role, I think they need to have regular feedback meetings with their recruiters to find out how they're using the assets, what kind of feedback they're getting, and what candidates are telling them that they're looking for, because then you can take all that information and you can continually create for what your candidate wants. 
And I think that that's where that that's like where the real data lies. Sure. I mean, it's creating a baseline for the process as well. I mean, if everybody is following the same branding content, then you can start to refine it. Whereas if everybody's just doing whatever they want, saying whatever they want, it's hard to measure it. So does it, do you find that just having that consistency allows people to make better decisions quicker? Yeah. That's, that's insightful, but uh, yes. Do you guys use any other output such as like a glass door or any other kind of social media platforms to help with the data collection? Let's see. We don't. And, and I'll tell you, it's like, it's really interesting because of the work that we do, we've been, we've been handcuffed by the ROI, you know, thing for forever because the work that we do, we create it and then we give it to people who are notoriously bad at tracking stuff. It's not like giving it to a sales team. If we created assets for a sales team, we could get data feedback all day long, but recruiters are just like, they're notoriously bad at metrics to begin with. So, but, and we're also, we are disconnected from that. So because like, we're not a, let's say a technology solution, we're a creative solution. So we give it to them and then it's up to them to use it. We can give them best practices and help them like use certain links and things like that. But like, really it's up to them to do a good job. And then it's up to us to get that data from them. And that's really, really hard to do. How important do you think those things are like glass door feedback, for example? You mean like reviews on Glassdoor? Yep. I think they're important. I think that, you know, we're in a review-based society now. It's how we buy everything. And, you know, especially the candidates that, you know, that we're primarily speaking to, whether it's Glassdoor, whether it's back-channel conversations, whether it's them like looking to see if they have a connection at the company so they can leapfrog a recruiter. I mean... It's, it's review-based. I mean, that's like, that's what's going to start a conversation. I mean, if you're, you know, obviously like if you're in sales and you have a product like G2 is huge, you know, it's like, it's the same kind of thing where it's the first place now that candidates go, especially a younger generation. It's like, they want to go and like hear what people are saying first. So it's, it's important. You know, it's really a, a bummer. I agree. It is. It were review-based buying now. And I feel like it's, we're a few years into it, maybe longer, and it's already become kind of ruined by big companies and their ability to hide real reviews or pay for reviews, you know, and yeah. this is kind of a side tangent, but as I heard you talking about that, I'm like, I loved the fact that we used to be able to take what people said and use it for good. And now it's almost like you can't trust any of the reviews out there. So, yep, that's the, uh, that's the other side to it. And that, and I, that's the same issue that I have too. I don't like this pay to play that platforms have, you know, it, it's like, man, it's, it's like what we're, we want in like, what we're craving in like news and media is like what we're craving in like reviews too. It's like, we just want something that is just telling us the truth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like glass doors, one of those things where it's like, we'll go look at the bad reviews, see what the worst looks like because most of the good ones <laughs> never know, but and same yeah. with product reviews on Amazon. But anyways, I digress on that. But I hope that somehow we figure out a way to leverage real reviews. Um, yeah. Maybe somebody will figure it out. But, you know, companies pay for those reviews. So it's hard to shut them out. As far as, so I, I want to talk a little bit about some concrete ideas that you can give the listeners on like, yeah, they can hire you to help create stuff, but where in my organization, maybe I'm a small organization, maybe not necessarily a startup, but just in general, I feel like our content isn't very good. Yeah. Can you give some advice on 
where to start? Is it putting out testimonials for my employees? Is it updating our career pages? You know, what's some, we, we like to, we like to hope that people listen to this and can go back to work the next day and do something that will help them. Yeah. Not necessarily just philosophically, but tangible. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot to be said about going back to the, to the basics because, well, one of the biggest things that's lacking in, in anyone's candidate experience is there's a lack of, of information before somebody applies. What candidates want is they want information and there's certain types of information that they're really looking for to make sure like, is this worth my time? Is this worth their time? things like that. And so I think that every company should create a couple like foundational pieces of content that they can live on their career site. Recruiters can use it throughout at the top of the funnel and throughout the hiring process. That's a candidate FAQ that answers the most pressing questions that candidates have, that your candidates have, and your recruiters hold that information. If you just ask your recruiters, what are like, what are the top five, six, seven, whatever questions that you're getting over and over and over again, that, you know, our candidates care about create an, just create a FAQ blog post. That is just like, it's not sexy, but it is like it, it, the utilization of that thing is, is, is off the charts. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then if you think about the, if, if, as long as you continue to like, think about what the candidate wants, you can just create for them. And so another thing is like, our process for hiring new team members. Go through your process. Every company has a unique process. Just tell me what it is. I think every company should have an opinion piece on their industry. I think that's it's really important for us on the outside to know how you think about the problems that you're solving and why you're doing that. So an opinion piece on your industry is, is really, really important. And I think if I was going to do like, you know, one more of those, it would be just like a, a profiler and interview with somebody in senior leadership, ideally a founder. And, you know, where they're kind of talking to like the mission, vision, ethos, like the reason they, they're doing this stuff, those pieces can live for a really long time. You don't have to like recreate them. And that's where I'd start. And like, I mean, all that takes is like genuine curiosity and interviewing the right people and turning it into blog posts. I mean, it's like, I'm not going to say it's like any sexier than that. That's what it is. Yeah. When you help people with so so you mentioned we kind of, kind of were asking about how do we measure this and one of the things is reply rate back and you know yeah. I think we see you see recruiters all the time pinning you on LinkedIn and the messaging looks very similar across the board and one thing I was thinking is do you think that using compensation like right off the bat to try to get somebody's attention is a good idea or a bad idea. I'm glad you brought that up. I was having this conversation with our co-founder uh, today. We have always tried so hard to push our candidate, or I mean, our our clients to just say it, just put out there what even even if you can't say like this role, we pay seventy eight thousand dollars a year for this role. Give a range, or at the very least, say what percentile of like the overall market you fall into, because we do continual research with candidates to find out what they care about. And compensation is always at the top. And mm -hmm. they all candidates just collectively say, we want to know before we apply, just tell us, you know, it's like, you have to check that box. Yeah. It's not all I care about, but it's no. extremely important. And if you're half of what I make today, like I can't consider you, even if it was the best thing in the world, I can't consider it. Same here, you know? And, and I think like it's, it's fear 
the reason the reason that 99.9% of companies or whatever it is don't do it is out of fear because they feel like, well, if I if I tell them up front and it doesn't match what they want, then they're going to opt out, but they're going to opt out anyway. And so there's a lot to be said when when a company does that. We are big advocates of it, but man, you want to talk about met with resistance. It is not something that we went on a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, that it's an interesting response. When I thought of the question, I actually thought of the negatives of including it. And, and that is when we talked about attract and repel, are there people that you're going to get coming to you simply because it's a little bit more than what they make today. And I think that's the goal of it sometimes, but I guess when you talk about it, the goal of it isn't necessarily to pull somebody away for an extra five grand. It's to check that box and make sure that if they're going to come into the process, they already know that. And there's a better chance that they'll actually end up working for you. Yeah. Well, Nate, this has been a great conversation. How can people get in touch with, with you for helping them with employer branding? And then also just with you, maybe personally on, on a professional level to talk about. These. Yeah. So jobportraits.com is our company site. You can email me if you want. Nate at before you apply.com is my new email address and the one I'm trying to direct people to. But then LinkedIn, like I'm, I'm super active on LinkedIn. I post almost daily, Monday through Friday about employer branding, mostly stuff. So connecting with me on LinkedIn, I also do like a lot of virtual coffees with people in the industry to like talk shop about this stuff and like help them just kind of start figuring it out. You know, a lot of do it yourself approaches, you know, that I give up, you know, that I help them with and things like that. So um, if anybody's like generally curious about like how, how they want to bring this to life, like reach out to me. I, I love having those conversations. No strings attached. It's like something I do all the time, just like as a value add. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nate, I'm just going to slip in one more question. So in that regard, who's kind of your primary stakeholder? I, I guess I could assume like in a startup, it would be the the owner, but maybe in like a more to mid to large size organization, is it typically yeah. somebody that heads up marketing or HR or talent acquisition? Like where's your sweet spot there? Yeah. So we we typically don't work with early stage, like really early stage companies. So our clients will will typically have like some level of a recruiting org in place. And so our liaison is typically a head of talent or a head of people, or sometimes somebody in internal comms, depending on the project. But for the most part, it's like head of talent or a head of people. You know, every now and then these companies will be a little bit big enough or forward thinking enough to have somebody lead employer branding. And that would then for sure be our contact. But usually this falls on the plate of somebody who's like, Hey, we need to start doing this stuff. And I'm doing, you know, 20 other things. Right. <laughs> so that, that's usually our person. Got it. Well, thank you so much. This has You're been welcome. such a pleasure. I know our listeners are really going to love this episode. Yes, cool. yes. Thank you, Nate. We appreciate it. And we'll put links in the show notes to um, the website and also your, your LinkedIn so people can find you. All right. Thank you both. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. 
That's podcast at tchrm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use code WHATTHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.